Good morning, Calvary family. Welcome those of you joining us online as well. Uh, the powerful name of Jesus. What a great uh, reminder of why we gather, why we get together, why we celebrate on Sundays. Uh, the risen Lord. And boy, he's, his is the name above all names that we need in our lives day to day. We need to impact our society and our world. So praise Jesus and glad that we're here together to seek him, to honor him. Back in 1984, President Ronald Reagan uh, was, I believe, the first president to say that on the third Sunday of January, he wanted to designate that day as a special day uh, to commemorate, um, and, and he called it the National Sanctity of Life, of Human Life Sunday. And the idea was to, as you can very well be aware, that there was, there was political battles, there was challenges, uh, especially concerning abortion, uh, which is a, a key aspect of sanctity of life, uh, that for decades have raged on, and, and he wanted to encourage people to separate that, that day to, to focus on the, the value of life. And, and as Christians, you know, we think about you know, all the scripture says to us about that we're made in the image of God, in that we're made uniquely and wonderfully. And if that's true, then each one of us has value and purpose uh, and ministry and calling uh, in this world. And, and so while that has been a, a hot political topic, especially more so in the last six to 12 months, uh, it's also a biblical topic. And as biblical Christians, we need biblical answers and reminders of what it is that we mean by sanctity of life. What is it that God really wants from us when it comes to valuing human life and how to live that in the way that Jesus calls us to live it? So before Pastor Julio went on sabbatical, he invited uh, this special ministry from Texas Baptist, our statewide convention. They have a, a branch called Christian Life Commission, CLC. And Dr. David Sanchez is here from Christian Life Commission. They're here, he's here as part of a team, uh, along with uh, some folks from Lifeline uh, Children's Services that are going to be speaking to us today on Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, so, so David, I'm excited about hearing the word of God and, and some of the practical applications that we'll have on this in the days ahead. So thank you for being here and welcome. I'm glad that you're still, still excited, even though you heard it in the first hour. <laughs> thank you so much for having, uh, for letting us join you on this Sunday. And this, this question bombed in the first hour, but I hope I can do a little bit better now. How many of you are familiar with Bette Midler's song, From a Distance? Okay, okay, a little bit better than last time. So this song came out in 1991, and the chorus goes, God is watching us, God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance. I don't sing it as good as Bette Midler or as the people previously on stage, but um, yeah, the song was about how if you look at the earth from a distance, you don't see fighting, you don't see suffering, you don't see borders. In that chorus, though, as pretty as the song was, that chorus, even as a teenager, don't calculate how old I am now, even as a 13-year-old, when that song came out, it's still, something about it just did, didn't seem right with me, that, that God is just a distant, passive observer. But there was a song that came out 3,000 years earlier, Psalm 139, which describes God very differently. Here's a God who is close to us, who knows us, he protects us and he guides us. How well does God know us? First of all, he knows all of our activities. Verse two says, you know when I sit down and when I rise. In verse three, you search my path and my lying down. In verses 11 and 12 imply that if we were to just shut off all the lights so that we can't see a thing, God still knows what we're up to. Second, he always knows our location. 
Verses seven and eight, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I turn off my locations on my cell phone, you can still find me for you are always with me. That last part might've been a scribal error, but you get the point. God's presence is inescapable. He knows our activities, he knows our location, and he knows our every thought. Verse two, you discern my thoughts from afar. Verse four, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You know, I find as I get older, it's harder to get my wife to laugh at my jokes. It's because she knows me so well, she can now see those jokes coming a mile away. It's like she knows what's going to come before it even comes out. And before I've even reached the punchline, she's already like mid-eye roll. It's a playful eye roll, but it's an eye roll nonetheless. Sometimes you know someone so well, you know what they're going to say. And God is closer and knows us better than anyone ever could. If I could change Bette Midler's words, it would be, God is watching us. God is knowing us. God is actually all up in our business. God doesn't just know us, he protects us. Verse five says, you hem me in behind and before, you lay your hand upon me and God guides us. Verse nine and 10, if I were to take wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. And Psalm 139 is probably, you know, it's never gonna win a song of the year award, but it is the song that we turn to when we talk about sanctity of life and about the precious value of unborn children. Because of verses 13 and 14, you've probably heard them many times. You formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's because of these verses, there's an organization called Psalm 139 Project, which tries to get sonograms into pregnancy centers in neighborhoods that are high risk. And CLC and Texas Baptist is partnering to get three of those sonograms into those neighborhoods. Psalm 139 is a great passage for supporting the unborn, and deservedly so. But I think it's also a great passage for supporting their mothers and fathers because in verses 13 and 14, it's not just describing the unborn, right? When David penned this, he wasn't uh, in the womb. He was an adult. And he said this within the context of a God who not only made him and designed him for a purpose, but who also knew him intimately and surrounded and protected him and desired to guide him. Psalm 139 reminds us that all of us are of great value to God. And the CLC sees being pro-life. What does it mean to be pro-life? We see it as saying that God calls us to care for all people at every stage of their life because they are of value to him. We should seek to get to know them because God sees them as worth knowing. We should seek to care for them because God sees them as worth protecting. And we should seek to guide them into a relationship with Jesus Christ because God sees them as worth being saved by the blood of his son. How is the CLC trying to be pro-life? There are a lot of ways. One of those has to do with um, policy and legislation. And Dr. Katie Fruget and John Litzler are going to share a little bit about that. 
Thanks, David. You know, in the book of James, he's reflecting on religion that's true and undefiled before God the Father. He has a lot of thoughts. But in James 2, he says, you say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. There's something so beautiful about the Christian faith that says there's got to be a place where it actually manifests in life and means something. And so this morning, we just want to reflect for a few minutes about where is that meaning something? Where is that rubber hitting the road in a very tangible way? in Texas and the U.S. today, right now. And so uh, we've got with us also this morning, John Litzler is our director for public policy. And I'm just gonna do a little Q&A and let him explain how is these convictions that we have at the Christian Life Commission, how is that trickling down into our world, our culture and our society, and specifically in Texas also. So John, thank you for being here this morning. I'm gonna put you in the hot seat. You ready for this? I love it, I'm ready. Okay, well, easy question number one. January 22nd, we are gonna celebrate the 50th anniversary of what would have been the Roe v. Wade um, ruling. Um, Obviously with Dobbs, we know that that has been overruled. So at a real basic level, why are we still talking about this? Like, does it matter anymore? Like, why are we still having these conversations? I think the best way to describe why we're still talking about it is because the Roe v. Wade decision kind of put pause on the conversation. And so we're resuming it. And the reason I say that is because at the time Roe v. Wade was decided, states were deciding kind of on a state-by-state basis, do we restrict abortion? How do we restrict abortion? There's a lot of nuance here. What about in medical emergencies or in cases of sexual assault? And um, Roe v. Wade kind of put an end to all that conversation by saying there's a constitutional right to privacy that protects a woman's right to an abortion, at least up to through a certain stage. And so states, you can't do anything about this. This is a federal protection. And with the Dobbs decision, when that got overturned, it put the the ball back in in the state's court. And now we're having these conversations again. We're picking up where we left off. What do we do as a state? How do we restrict this? When do we restrict this? So each state gets to decide for themselves what are our rules going to be. It does. So we know Texas kind of said, okay, we're going to do some kind of a blanket abortion. We know there was a trigger law, I believe, in effect that went in um, for Texas, right? That's correct. We had a law that was waiting on the books. And when Roe v. Wade was overturned, the reason they call it trigger law is because it triggered that becoming active law. Okay, so we know that the upcoming session, or not upcoming, the session has started. That's right. So what what does pro-life issues look like then? Like what, what are you looking at as we're talking about this in a abortion banned state? There's kind of a wide array of issues that, that I would consider pro-life issues. Um, one of the questions is what does it look like to be consistent if we believe that prenatal life is life? What does it look like to be consistent in that and to promote a culture of life? And so there are bills that would provide, um, that would provide, um, maternity leave and paternity leave for state employees. Um, The hope being that even though they can't regulate that for private employers, that it would trickle into private employers well, that we would have more robust paid maternity leave. Um, There are bills that would take child support when it's ordered for, say, a father to pay child support retroactive, not just to the moment of birth, but actually to the moment of conception, nine months before. Um, So supporting pregnant mothers who would not have been able to have that support. Um, so those types of things, but then also just, we at the CLC take a broader view to some of these issues that would be pro-life. And so mental health, we have a mental health crisis and there are a lot of laws to help diagnose and, um, provide services for, and try to help reduce, um, suicide rates, um, which have been rising. 
Um, there's even a bill that would, uh, if passed, would um, revoke the death penalty as a form of punishment in Texas. And so um, just lots of different things that I think would be considered on the pro-life scale. So basically our understanding of what pro-life bills are is getting massively expanded to let us actually be truly pro-life and not pro-birth essentially? Yes. Yeah, that's fair. So rewind with me before the Dobbs decision came out, Texas was kind of living in this weird in-between state because we had this famous heartbeat bill. Is that still a thing? It is. The heartbeat bill is still a thing. We actually have three laws on this now, and it can be a little bit confusing. So you may recall the Roe v. Wade case was a case out of Texas. Um, That was a Texas case that was decided. And so it was Texas pre-Roe abortion ban that was declared unconstitutional by Roe v. Wade. Now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, that law is back in effect. Plus, we have the heartbeat bill, which begins at six weeks. And then now we have this trigger bill as well. And there are some concerns there about double jeopardy and are these laws really in harmony or contradicting? And that's something our legislature is going to have to figure out as well. Do we need to go back and repeal any of these old laws or make them harmonize? Because Texas actually has several uh, laws that regulate abortion. So so just cover all the bases. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Okay, so I want to pivot a little bit and focus on something specific to the abortion conversation. Um, I know in my own research in 2021, roughly half of abortions were what they call medicated abortions. And I know during COVID, the FDA made the pill accessible to people via telemedicine and health. So talk through the legalities in Texas about accessing that. And what does that landscape look like for women in Texas? So medicated abortions are not allowed in Texas under this most recent uh, bill, the law, the trigger law. And so, um, but when combine that with one of our previous uh, abortion bills that talks about how you're not allowed to kind of aid and abet or support in that, um, then it makes it difficult to receive those medications. But if they're coming from out of state or even out of the country, it can be very difficult to regulate and to enforce those laws. Um, and it also, well, I'll let you speak because this steps outside the legality and you're more of an expert in this than me. So I'd flip it back to you and say, you know, what are you hearing about the safety of that, the concerns around that, about, you know, since it's not allowed, trying to get medication, but not really knowing the source, not having a doctor, you know, administer it to you, all of that. I mean, it's murky at very best, for sure. If you're a big podcast listener, like... I am. Even this morning, the New York Times put out an article interviewing a very famous Dutch a doctor who is running a group called uh, Plan C, and it's a website. That, or, sorry, not Plan C. It's Aid Access. Aid Access um, does telemedicine visits to women literally across the globe, and she's sending uh, prescriptions to be able to get access to these pills. So even though we've got the laws in place, it's still highly accessible to a lot of women. So even the best laws, there's going to be workarounds, and there's a lot of concerns with that. Even the FDA has come out. Um, and said, hey, we think this pill is safe, but please don't take it without medical supervision because it gets very dangerous if you take it after a certain point in the pregnancy. And so just trying to make sure that women have the actual health care that they need, um, just tons of concerns. But uh, just, just make a very long story short, yeah, it's still accessible even with the best laws in place. And so the need is still there. There's still a lot of things to work through. And so there's just going to be a lot of questions of, okay, How do we come alongside women to make sure that abortion is not just illegal, which we've kind of checked that box in Texas, but how do we make it unnecessary and really ultimately unthinkable? How do we solve the root issues? And so we've also invited some friends of ours with um, uh, Lifeline Children's Services because they're kind of the boots on the ground. They're kind of the road warriors who are meeting women and families in their moment of crisis and have some tangible ways that we can partner and work as a local church, as Christians, to put our faith to practice. And so I'd like to invite 
invite you guys to come up and share a little bit about the work that you all do and how we can help support our families. Katie, thank you. Um, I'm Rick Morton. I'm the Senior Vice President for Engagement at Lifeline Children's Services. I'm joined by Shauna Moore, my friend, who is also the Director of Engagement here in the state of Texas. Uh, Lifeline began a little over 40 years ago in Birmingham, Alabama as the discipling arm of a crisis pregnancy center. And the Lord has grown our ministry um, into many other areas, but the, the kind of the pillars that, um, that, that form us are a conviction that um, this work is given to the local church to do and that ultimately it's gospel work, not just, not just good work. Um, Katie mentioned about, uh, you know, James and, and what he says in James chapter one, we know in James or James chapter two, James chapter one, he talks about visiting widows and orphans in their affliction and, and the idea that, that that's an expression of pure religion. And I think one of the things we can draw from that is, is that, that God has blessed each and every one of us within the church with something that we can do in order to be able to minister to orphan and vulnerable children in, in ways that put the dignity and the sanctity of human life on display. We can, we can live out and, and, and also point the, the redemptive character of who our God is and the story of Christ to our world in the way that we, in the way that we care for people. At Lifeline, we have a way of kind of talking internally about um, about our role and, and the way that we work with churches. We, we like to remind each other that we're called to be a bridesmaid to the bride of Christ. And so we believe that, yes, this is the work of the church, but we can come alongside and add value by bringing training and resources and things to help you to be able to do in your community and around the world the things that God um, has called you as a church to do. We focus on um, on, on making sure that, that local churches are fit to step into that role because, because at the end of the day, it's not the role of government. It's not the role of NGOs. It's not the role of, of all of these other entities that are in our society. It's a God-given role um, to the church. Um, and, and we also realize that, that vulnerable families and vulnerable children are not alike and their vulnerabilities aren't alike. And so we may have started in the Christ, in crisis pregnancy ministry, but the Lord has, has given us the, the ability to be able to branch out into a number of different ways um, in order to meet a, a lot of kind of the core um, vulnerabilities that, um, that, that women and, and men and children face um, in, our, in our society. And so in addition to crisis pregnancy ministry, we also um, serve in adoption and we help families to adopt. We work in family restoration ministry and that that means getting the church involved in foster care, but also getting the church involved in the lives of families who have lost their children into foster care and bringing the gospel to bear in those situations. It means coming alongside the church in global orphan care. We have the privilege to work in 23 countries, and, and, and what we do there is to partner with churches here in the U.S., uh, with churches among the nations in order to, to see children reach for the gospel and ultimately to be cared for um, in their own community. And then finally, we know... Um, that this is hard, and, and we know that, uh, that that people step into great difficulty when they step into the vulnerability um, of children, and, and so we want to provide counseling resources and training resources and equipping resources that help us to be the best that we possibly can be, um, and to and to show excellence as we go um, as as a Christian. In Texas last year, we had. About 130 women referred to us from pregnancy centers, from 
different hotlines across the United States. And in that, our pregnancy counselors step in and begin to share life options as they begin to meet her physical needs, um, her spiritual needs, and her emotional needs. And out of that number, we met with about 60 of these women face-to-face, talking to them, engaging them, loving them. And it really meets and it embodies the call that we have to show these women that they have purpose, that they have hope, that God knows their name, that he knows their story, and that he loves them and has a purpose for them. You know, in my life, I've often had a heart for pro-life issues. And I remember I asked the reason why. And it's because in providing life options, you really provide hope to the mother and to the child. Death will often lead us to disheartening, but life is something that pushes us forward to know God and to have a purposeful existence. And that is what we want for every woman and every child to know that they were created by God for him and for a purpose. And so in Texas, we we meet with these women and we give them options and we talk to them and we hear their heart and they're able to choose to parent or able to choose an adoption plan. But either way, we want them to choose what God has for them. And we want them to know that they do have choices and what these choices can look like. And then we want to provide everything that we can to put them in a place for success in what they choose. Well, just this year, we had a mom planning an adoption here in the state of Texas, and she was working two jobs, trying to make everything happen, but her tires kept going out, and we could not buy her tires because of our role in in really um, with the adoption, but we were able to contact a local church, and she had picked out tires that were already used, but they would see her through a little bit, and the church that we called Um, did something so amazing. They said, we're not just buying you the tires you chose, we're buying you brand new tires because that's the kingdom of heaven. Not only are we gonna do that, but we're gonna put insurance on your tires because we don't want you to be in this place again. And this mom was overwhelmed by the love of a church because she actually had had a jaded view of the church. And in their action in expressing love to her in her time of need, her perception of the church changed. And she said, if I'm going to church, I'm gonna go to this church because they loved me and they didn't even know me. And that's the heart of the father. And as we work with pregnant women, that's the heart we want to show that God loves you. You may not know his name yet. You may not know that he sent a son, but he knows you and he wants the very best for you. And along with that, we have amazing adoptive parents who come along with the heart of Christ who know going into this, that they're gonna love our birth parents and the child that they adopt. And it's many, many times we see that it's our adopted parents that lead our our expectant parents or sometimes our birth parents to Jesus. And that is the heart of Lifeline when it comes to pregnancy ministry and, and our adoptions here domestically. But we know for a lot of stories, they don't end in making the first right choice. Um, There are many birth parents that make the choice to choose life for their children, but they're really not prepared to parent. 
It may be that there are immediate circumstances that press in on them and cause them to, to parent poorly. It may be generational cycles that are being repeated in their lives. But, um, but we see through family restoration, which is ministry into the foster care system, a number of different opportunities for churches to be engaged. Um, certainly, we want to raise up Christian families to provide safety for kids in, in temporary care, in foster care. But we just really believe that, that ultimately we need to bring the gospel to bear on the whole system. And so that means ministering to birth parents, ministering to people within CPS. It, it, uh, there, there are tons of options for the ways that churches do that. Um, one of the, the programs that we're the most proud of is coming alongside churches to engage parents who have lost their children into foster care to to teach biblically-based, gospel-centered parenting classes. And y'all, that's such an incredible miracle. The government not only allows us, but encourages us as the church to be able to have that kind of intervention with families. Gives us the opportunity to share the gospel with them, to mentor them. And, and their people, like the skills that are needed in there are, are, not just, um, are not just technical, professional skills. It's people that can cook great meals and people that can provide transportation and people that can come along and, and be a friend and be a mentor. Um, to a parent who needs someone to come alongside them um, and to share the gospel with them, but also also to show them um, the way to, to better parenting. Um, we, we have opportunities to see older children adopted um, into families through foster care, and, and we even have opportunities where adoption can't happen um, to be able to, to, to share and, and to, to mentor children um, who are going to graduate out into independence without ever finding a family of their own. And, and churches are... Th- literally the best in the community to do that work. And and it gives us the opportunity to be able to bring the life-giving gospel, which really makes the life change um, into all of those lives. And just as we're doing all of this here in the United States, we're also equipping um, churches in other countries. And an important part of Lifeline is often connecting churches like this to a church, maybe in Latin America, Asia, Europe, to partner with them, and once you're equipped and moving in the space of ministry, to equip them to do so as well, and to help them to love the orphans and those that are vulnerable in their community, to first of all know Christ and to know hope, and then to become disciples in their communities. You know, as I look at all of these different things, I'm thankful that we also have the resources to support the families that do say yes. And um, this year we released something called the Lifeline Educational Portal. And that's because as you step into these spaces, sometimes there's things that you don't know exactly what to do. And we wanna be a resource to help these families and to help even churches know, hey, these are some other resources. These are some other techniques. These are some other ideas that can help maybe where there's trauma or maybe where there's an educational deficit and you don't know how to navigate that education system. There's so many needs and there's so many needs and that's why it's possible for everyone of us to say yes somehow some way we may not all be called to adopt but we are called to be the body of Christ and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to those we encounter and that makes us truly pro-life not just pro-birth but looking at the life that God has given this individual and saying, hey, we're here as the body of Christ to support you from now until the end because we love you and because we know God has called you to eternity. We'd like to close today with a personal story. And um, 
with a challenge as well. And this past year, I was driving my car. It was in September, and I was going to meet with a group of pastors. And how many of you ever pray in the car? Anybody in here besides me? Um, I pray in my car. It's become my prayer closet. And I'm praying on the way to meet these pastors that day. And as we know, the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts in so many ways. But that morning, he brought a scripture from Psalm 127 to mind. And it was that children are a heritage of the Lord and offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children who are born in one's youth. And it says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And as I was thinking about that verse and God, why are you bringing up, what are you speaking to me? The Lord said to me very clearly in that small voice, there are arrows that have been tossed to the wayside. They're lying there and they're not in anyone's quiver. Who's gonna pick up the arrows that have been tossed to the side? Who's gonna be the one to put them in their quiver? The Lord said the next thing, he said, they're useful to me. I desire to sharpen them. They're useful for my kingdom. And y'all, I was riveted that day as the Holy Spirit spoke, the conviction of God just fell on me. And I shared with the pastor's, But even after I left that meeting, it was just a word, you know, when God gives you a word that burns in your heart. And I was like, man, God, what are you, what are you doing? Not just corporately for the body of Christ, but what are you doing in me? And I went home and I talked to my husband. I shared the verse. I shared what happened. I shared that I'd told everybody else this. And I said, but there's a question to me. What? And you, what is he asking us to do? We just kind of left it there. And um, our son came home from college and um, that weekend and we were having a really good time and he started talking to a friend of his that was having a hard time. And he came in and he said, hey, mom and dad um, told us a little bit and he said, is there any way that he could come stay with y'all for a little bit? And my husband and I just looked at each other because the answer had, was already there. And we said, yes. And he looked at us and goes, that's it? You don't have to pray about it? Nothing? I was like, no, God's already spoken. And you know, we don't ever know what the Lord's gonna ask. We don't know what the next step is. We don't know what next Sunday looks like or next Wednesday. But if we'll just have that heart that God, if you ask me to do something, I'll say yes. And that arrow, that can be to allow someone to come into your home. That can be to to financially support an organization that's helping orphans. That could be to help a young woman in your community who's facing an unplanned pregnancy, to mentor her, to love her. It could be making a meal for someone. It could be a lot of different things. But what God is saying is, will you say yes? Support the arrows. They're useful for my kingdom. And so I'd ask us all to pray and to ask the Lord, what's my part? What's my part in saying, yes, I'm pro-birth, but more than that, I'm pro-life. Because God, he is truly the giver of life. We hope that if you have questions that you'll reach out to us, if you're wondering how to step into that space, and you can find us at lifelinechild.org online. But I'd like to end with prayer today, just asking the Father, God, what is your heart? Will you bow with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love us.
We thank you that you made us. Like David told us with Psalm 139, Father, that you created us in our mother's wombs. And Lord, we also thank you that God, your purpose continues throughout our life and that you've called us to you and that you have a plan for us that's good, a plan to prosper us, not to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. And Lord, as we have that hope, we wanna give that hope to others. So Lord, we ask today, show us how we can say yes to being pro-life, giving life hope to others, letting them know that they are valued by you. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.